It's episode 63 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Veen. Today on the show is head of design for real estate startup Opendoor, Paul Smith. We talk about leadership of rapidly growing teams and how to design for the incredibly emotional experience of buying and selling homes. Paul, thanks for being on the show. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I guess I should make it super clear that this is the Paul Smith from Open Door and not the, the fashion designer here in the UK. Uh, That's true. I do, I do not make suits and dresses. Which, I make apps and products. Which is, <laughs> which is great. I'm a huge fan of both Paul Smiths then because um, I just think his clothes are fantastic. I don't know. Do you get this all the time? I'm sorry. I got married in a Paul Smith tie. Oh, so that's I could great. flip it around and it said it is, had his name on the label and I showed everybody. <laughs> but I, ironically, I also got married in a Ted Baker suit, which is like <laughs> Paul Smith's competitor. Exactly. <laughs> the Ted Baker suit fit me better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, hey, like, I appreciate um, you taking the time to be on the show. We're going to do it's, it's a bit of an experiment here because honestly, we're recording this just a couple hours after I got off a overnight flight from New York. Uh, so you might have to do a little more of the heavy lifting here this time around. Um, okay. I've had my coffee. Okay. Good, good, good. Uh, I was in, I was in New York for this big meeting with my company, uh, true ventures. We do this like once a year for all of our in- institutional investors and founders and stuff like that. It's just super fun, but especially meaningful this time. And the, the reason I bring it up is because we got to introduce this new brand, this identity that we've been working on, uh, a project that I was, uh, leading for a little while now. So I was just so excited to be able to show off all that work. And I'm going to tell everybody to go to trueventures.com and go look at it because why not? I'm proud of my work and I'm, I get to brag a little bit on my podcast. So here you go. Um, but it was fun. We worked with this uh, agency in San Francisco called Wayno. Do you know them? I do. Yeah. Yeah. They've done, they've done great work. They've done work for like medium and Slack and Uber. And, oh, you, maybe you yeah. intersected them when you were, cause you were at Uber, weren't you? They did some work for us while I was there. I, I didn't work directly on those projects, but yeah, they're they're one of those places where everybody's always citing their work as yeah. as you know great to look at, very inspirational. So. Absolutely. Well, I had a wonderful experience working with them. So, um, so let me you can add me to the list as well. Then, um, yeah, that's cool. So you were at. Uh, let's take a step back. Let's see when when you started. How did you, your career get going here? What brought you to Open Table or Open Table? Sorry. <laughs> It's all right. It, that's, that's one of our challenges. It must happen up uh, all the time. No, open exactly, door. Sorry. Exactly. Open door. Dad. I have to be honest. I, I do use open table a little more than open door, but I think that's probably an expected experience. That's exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going way back. I'm, I'm a self-taught designer. So I got my start designing nightclub flyers on a pirated version of Photoshop back when my you know DJ collective in my early, early twenties uh, needed to do some self-promotion. Fantastic. Um, and it was, it was long enough ago that, you know, I could kind of teach myself through the internet and through just, you know, trying stuff out. And I was able to get myself a job in an actual like digital marketing agency and Mm -hmm. kind of shift that way. So my entire career has been just learning on the job, but, um, I spent the beginning of it, uh, agency side, you know, first doing more, more digital marketing, always very highly interactive. You know, I was I was doing Adobe Flash back when it was mm-hmm. Macromedia Flash mm-hmm. and creating, you know, overwrought, um, very highly animated uh, web experiences for for a variety of different initiatives. Skip intro. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I um, then I moved into more what was called at the time UX UI, but it was really more product design um, at, at agencies that were a little more focused on being 
sort of strategic partners uh, to to various businesses around um, Silicon Valley and, and you know tech in general, um, and then jumped into Uber uh, fairly early. Um, I had not really I'd heard of Uber. I hadn't really taken it much. I wasn't a user. The first Uber I took was from the beers I had to talk about the opportunity there. Hmm. Um, and so it certainly wasn't the household name that it became. Right. Um, but I had this inkling after working, uh, at, at, uh, hot studio, which was a, oh. a place I did a lot of work, um, that, you know, we had some startup clients and people were starting to get more excited about design being in startups, in tech companies in general. Uh, and, and I was like, man, this sounds interesting, you know, to kind of just jump, jump in house, as we said back then, and, and see what it's like to, to do design, you know, at an actual startup and, and, uh, and inside a company rather than being an agency that gets, gets pulled in for specific projects and needs. But you did get that agency experience at Hot Studio. I was just always such a huge fan of what Maria was doing at Hot Studio when we were doing Adaptive Path and stuff. And it never it always felt very complimentary. And we were always so uh, so excited to kind of share what we were working on with each other. So that's great. Yeah, it, it felt like that there was always like Adaptive Path folks coming into Hot. And we were always watching what you guys were doing. And it was, a, you know, very, very complimentary work, as you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's great. And, I, and so actually one of the one of the designers I worked with at studio was the first head of design at uber hmm. and he's he's the one that pulled me in and i was the sixth designer on the, in in the company at the oh, time wow um and i think there was only there's less than 300 people at uber at that point um and so frankly I had no idea you know just like <laughs> just jumped in <laughs> and it was wild and crazy and you know a couple months after starting they're like okay you're gonna lead the growth design team uh, we're starting this growth team and you need to lead the growth design team. And so that was me being thrust into management, yeah. um, you know, very quickly and got to just scale that team up and really do uh, a lot of um, team building and sort of structuring of both, you know, sort of my part of, of the company, which was growth to begin with, and also just the design organization as a whole. And then spend some time, you know, as any good good startup uh, there was lots of reorgs so eventually the growth team kind of got reorged into the the core teams and i spent some time on um the writer side of the business so working on the, the writer experience and the writer product um and then towards the end of my time there i was uh on uber eats so i, oh, I cool. led the consumer design side of uber eats um so uh working on uh, the experience for people that are ordering food well, we did a uh, we did an interview here a while back, about a year ago, with um, Molly Stevens, who you probably worked with. It yes, uh, and I listened to that interview; it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she talked a lot about that writer experience and stuff like that. But um, and that feels very different from both like growth and eats, I would imagine. So you were kind of changing hats quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Which was a great experience. I think overall, Uber, given how fast it scaled, how oh my god, yeah, sort of fast it moved, it was a great experience for all of us just to try, 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 fail, 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 and learn, 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 you know, it's just over and over again, rinse and repeat that cycle. So it felt like this, you know, crazy training ground where um, we got to take on so much and, and, and really flex and, and push into sort of new development areas for ourselves and our careers, you know, new, new problem spaces that maybe we hadn't worked on before. So, so that was, uh, you know, very rewarding and fulfilling. Um, but then eventually I was like, okay, I'm ready for the, for the next thing. And, and sort of felt like that itch again, 
you know, and like I wanted to take everything that I'd learned from Uber and, and try to try to do it again. Um, yeah. And, and so Open Door sort of came around and was a great opportunity to um, work with a, a company that's, you know, earlier stage than Uber is at this point, obviously. Uh-huh. And in a lot of ways, very similar, you know, big growth. We're, we're definitely in the growth stage. It's a it's a large, large company with lots of things happening concurrently and all the challenges that that brings. But at the same time, much earlier, there's so much more to be formed. Uh, you know, we've, we've got the opportunity here as designers, researchers, content strategists, and really anyone at the company to just have massive impact because mm. it's kind of greenfield in a lot of ways and, and things just aren't there yet. And if you have the, uh, the sort of uh, desire to, to pick it up and, and push it forward, suddenly, uh, you know, you get to find yourself... Um, putting some pretty interesting, exciting things in place. And so, so that's really great. It feels like there's also a parallel in that both of these companies are in, um, are, are approaching industries, uh, that are very traditional and that people are generally unsatisfied with, right? Like the, I mean, like the, the experience in San Francisco, particularly of trying to get a cab 10 years ago, uh, was, was dreadful, remarkable, right? Like, um, and I, you know, have been through the experience of buying or selling a home and it is uh, terrifying. Like it's just cause it, because it's so opaque and so, uh, just, uh, who am I writing a check to now? You know, that kind of stuff. Right. And, and so, yeah, exactly. um, in both of those instances, I think there's a, an opportunity to really reevaluate a user experience, um, kind of from the ground up. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And something really satisfying too, to work on things that are like, I think for me and from for most of the folks that I, I work with here, and I think a lot of the folks at Uber too, there's something just satisfying and making things better, <laughs> you know, fixing that pain of like walking across San Francisco on a rainy <laughs> Halloween, trying to wave at every taxi that just zips by you and realizing halfway through that you're like just walking home, <laughs> you know, you're not going to catch right. that cab. And so it's like, <laughs> that was so much of what we were like, yes, we are fixing this finally. And it feels great to be doing that. Um, and it's the same thing with home buying. Although I'd say that what's what's interesting in a different way with with home buying is it happens so infrequently. Yeah. Um, so it's like this big pain that everybody has, uh, but you don't have it that often. Right. Like, you know, maybe I don't know. The average is like once every seven years right now. I think so. Hmm. Um, so you do this thing like very infrequently, but it's you know by orders of magnitude the biggest financial transaction of your life. So it's like tons of money. Um, and it's, it's, it's home, it's shelter. It's this very important piece of life and humanity. So it's not some small trivial decision, uh, in in the first place. And then it's just massively archaic and painful and and broken in so many ways. Mm. Um, so to be able to, to work, to fix that, I think is something that definitely motivates me. And I think a lot of the people here, you know, it's, it's funny back speaking of adaptive path, there, there was this period of time where we were kind of transitioning into this new practice of service design. Um, mm-hmm. and we would use as an artifact to help people understand service design, uh, journey map, right? This visualization of an, the kind of yes. the, the emotions that people experience while using a product and the hello world of journey maps is, uh, real estate buying and selling a yes. home and like that visualization of like the, the extreme excitement and the absolute despair, like all of it there, like, and, and it really helps people kind of understand, Oh, I see what you mean. Like how people can go through this series of life events. And then we can articulate at each inflection of that emotional journey, 
what, you know, what are the services that we can provide here and stuff. So, um, so you're it, Matt, you're like the, you're the use, the basic use case of service design. We're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we have that journey map pasted on the cafeteria wall downstairs <laughs> and that was actually, it was here before I got here. The team, the team had done that, um, before I started. And that was one of the things that really pulled me in when I saw that I'm like, Oh, okay. They're, they're thinking about this the right way. And for such an early company and such a small team to already be putting those types of artifacts up uh, where everyone in the company can see them and really just framing and thinking about things in that way. That's what yeah. uh, really excited me about, about coming over here and working with these folks. Oh, that's great because it's, it's one of the things, you know, I talk to young designers all the time uh, and one of my big pieces of advice is, look, the best thing you can do for your career is work for a place where your skills are valued. Right. Like, especially early in your career, do not go somewhere where you're going to like, I'm going to bring design here. Like, no, go someplace yeah. where like, they're really going to value what you do and you'll learn so much more. And they asked me how, how do I, how do I find a place like that? And that's one of the, that's one of the criteria is like, go look around the office and, and are the artifacts of design there as part of the culture and, and, and things that people talk about all the time. So you've, you've lived that. That's great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool, cool. So tell me about, like, so when did you get there? What was the team like then? So I got here, I'm almost a year in. So I got here in July of last year. Um, small team. I think there was about seven all in, and that's across both products and brands. So we, as the design organization here at Open Door, are kind of all things related to design. Product brands, research, content, designers, you know, and anything that could be considered design with a capital D. Mm-hmm. Um, and really were, were, we were, the team was a little behind in terms of scaling because the company had gone on this big growth phase where teams were getting bigger, markets were launching, there's just more and more people coming in, coming in, coming in. And the team had, hadn't really been hiring or growing much. They didn't have a head. So that was, you know, obviously one of the big challenges. Um, and so we just had to go on a big sprint to bring in. Uh, folks as as swiftly as we could and and both fill sort of the obvious gaps where people were just like there's not a designer on this team or in this area and it's blocking us from moving forward and then also kind of advocate and 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 put uh maybe some more specialists in areas that um people in the business didn't know they needed you know we did a lot of work on the brand team to bring on uh, a producer a program manager sort of specialized um, creative directors, production design, you know, functions that weren't necessarily being asked for, but what we knew would make us um, do better work, do more impactful work and do it in a, in a faster and more efficient way. Well, it sounds like a lot of people. Yeah, we're at about 25 now across the San Francisco office. We've got an office down in LA that came in through acquisition ah. uh, and then an office in Atlanta as well. So, so suddenly we're a big team, um, you know, and, and need to, uh, uh, pay mind to all those things that uh, larger teams need to pay attention to that can come naturally to some some smaller groups of people, but that need to be uh, sort of reinforced and 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 uh, sort of leaned into in a, in a bit of a different way when you get to this size. Give me an example of some of that. Like, is there some learning that you had to bring into the organization? I would imagine. You know, culture is the one that's very challenging. I think when you when you continue to grow like this mm. is um, how do you how do you maintain that feeling of, you know, a, a small group of people that know each other really well, that feel connected, that can get in the same room together, that can go out to one happy hour together, that can, you know, sit next to each other. Um, 
how do you keep all of that goodness and that connective tissue as the group gets bigger and bigger and starts to spread into uh, different areas, whether it's different areas of the office, so you're just not seeing each other in the same office or even worse, different offices. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so a lot of what we do is we talk about it a lot. So we're stated as something that we want to continually work on. We're checking in on it um, in, in, in a regular way. You know, I'm trying to, to you know, constantly ask how we're doing and get feedback from the team, get ideas from the team, um, and then put in place enough sort of little nudges and mechanisms that it kind of keeps us on track. Uh, an example of which would be, and, and it's all small, easy stuff, but an example would be we, we hold uh, Thursday uh, lunchtime. There's a calendar hold on everybody's calendar uh, that says the designers are going to sit down and eat lunch together on Thursday. Uh, yeah. Simple as that. Yep. You know, nothing, n- nothing formal, nothing fancy. It was, it was something that one of the designers on the team, she had this idea. So she just did it. Yep. Um, and you know, we just did it yesterday and, and, and we do it every week and I try to try to pop in as much as I can. And, uh, another guy on the team, he was like, man, you know, this is, this is really nice. This is great. I'm glad we do this. And you know, it's those little, those little nudges that, that it's easy to just forget about those and kind of get lost in the in the work and the roadmaps and the right. deadlines and all that stuff. And the next thing you know, it's like, man, we haven't sat down and had a casual conversation for like a couple months. So I'm really, I'm really obsessed with trying to make sure that we, we have everything in place so that we're still, still building that good, strong culture so that we can do better work. It, you know, I think having a, having an enjoyable place to come into work is, is super important for, for people on the team. Uh, and, and especially when things get, challenging mm. which they they always do um it gets easier to, to problem solve in in places where you know the stress might be high when you're sitting next to someone you know well and someone you respect and someone you've had lunch with and and and, and done all those things it, it gets easier to sort of solve those problems together and it feels less like a formal work relationship yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And you know what? It, it seems like this is a conversation I have all the time with the founders of companies that we work with. Uh, as they grow, they keep hitting these inflection points where the stuff that's working now um, suddenly isn't working at all. Um, exactly. And they'll reinvent everything and they'll fix it and it'll be working really well. And then they'll hit another one. Now there's 75 people and now that does none of that stuff works anymore. So like at some point, you're not going to have a table or a room big enough to have lunch with everybody on the design team. Right. Exactly. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and they're like, Oh, now what do we do now? You know? So, yeah. um, I, we saw that at Uber. I I mean, oh, you know, I when I, yeah. when I started, I had the entire design team over to my house on the weekends for like a, for, you know, a get together, <laughs> yeah, like the entire right. design team. And the next thing I knew, like I had a design team just reporting to me that was bigger than that. Yep. And then I could have them over to my house. And the next thing, you know, like, that just like the that organization you know the growth organization is massive and so you, these these groups just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's it's so challenging to maintain that those levels of connection with people mm. when it becomes 30 40 50 100 people mm, yeah for sure um i want to take a little break right here though first and talk about a sponsor then we'll get back to talking more about the teams and stuff like that uh and the sponsor this week is a friend of ours uh moo moo the online print and design company uh they so they make a bunch of really high quality print products super easy to use and configure online uh and you can make stuff like business cards postcards notebooks all sorts of stuff uh they deliver it all around the world and everybody who gets the stuff is super happy um you know i'm sure you know how important networking is in any career whether you're a designer or 
I don't know, novelist or a CEO of a company. Um, and you don't want to get caught out, make a bad impression, not having a business card when you meet somebody. So you can be prepared and show all of your creativity by having business cards made by Moo. Um, I really like the company. I've been over, they're based here in London where I am. I've been over there a couple of times to, to meet with a bunch of people there. They really do have design at the heart of what they do. Um, they've got an amazing design team over there that's working on new products all the time. Uh, and it, it shows in the products when they come out, the, the business cards are really well made. They're gorgeous. You can get stuff like gold foiling and spot gloss inks. Um, they have gorgeous, thick textured paper, everything you need for a high quality and memorable business card. Uh, it's, you know, it's great when we see our work on screen, but I'll tell you what, holding something in your hands, uh, you know, that, that sort of analog stuff that we talk about all the time, it's just, it's a really big deal. Um, so look, like I said, they make great business cards, uh, but they also like, you can make flyers for events, uh, stickers, greeting cards, uh, postcards. And, uh, recently they came out with these phenomenal notebooks, uh, both in soft and hardcover, uh, that you can, and you can get these customized with your brand. If you're ordering like 50 or more of them, um, the hardcover books are tough and tactile and, and have this cloth cover. That's gorgeous. The soft cover ones are lightweight. They have a sewn in binding. So it feels really high quality, really great stuff. Um, and the, like I said, designing all of this stuff online, like if you go to moo.com, log in, I was doing just this, uh, with some of our brand stuff that I was talking about earlier in the show. Um, the user experience is just great. It's just so simple to be able to just drag and drop stuff around. And I'll tell you what, I haven't done print design in like 20 years and I couldn't, you know, CMYK and spot colors and all of that. Uh, I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to go read like watch some online tutorials or something but no it's just they take care of all of that super super simple so go try it out you can get 15 percent off your first order which will save you a pile of money uh if you buy if you buy a bunch of this stuff uh go to moo.com and use the promo code print 15 that's p-r-i-n-t 15 at checkout uh that's moo m-o-o.com promo code print 15 thanks to moo for their support of presentable and all of relay fm paul do you do any uh print design at all me personally, no. I'm kind of like you. I haven't done print for for quite some time. Although we, you know, we're working on uh, quite a bit of of print here on the the brand and marketing side of the house. So we opened or resells all the homes that we we buy, and we uh, we allow people to visit those homes uh, in in what we call a self tour fashion. So you don't need a, a real estate oh. agent to unlock the door for you. Um, we put a, a digital smart lock on the front door and someone that walks up to a, an open door home can simply download our app and boom, unlock the door Oh, that's uh, great. and then move, move through and see it. But we recently um, did a big vision sprint to sort of imagine what that experience should be like and sort of set the, set the course for where we want to take that, uh-huh. that in-home experience. And a lot of it involves print. You know, it, we, we kind of realized that, when you're walking through a physical space like a home, especially when you're considering buying, you, you don't want to have your face in your phone the whole time. Um, and and we already do a little bit of augmenting the the uh, the interior with signage today, and it's pretty functional. You know, it's things like oh, make sure you leave this light on. Uh, if there's maybe some repair work that's underway or something that we want to sort of call out, there'll be like a, a little sign above it that says, "Hey, this is going to get." repainted or repaired or something like that. Um, but we really envision a future where you've got this, uh, you know, full experience where maybe you're getting some information about the home in signage that we've hung throughout the home. Um, maybe you go deeper by 
pulling out your device and you can see more information on the phone. Mm. You know, maybe there's some cool uh, augmented reality mm-hmm. experience where you can you can see see things that that aren't aren't there in the physical space if you use your phone. Um, but one of the things I love about uh, this team and, and and this company is that you know we are one big design team, so we'll we'll work with the the brand designers and the product designers will sit next to each other to, to sort of come up with uh, visions for things like this and, and bring everybody's different disciplines and, and expertise to the table. Oh, good. I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually my next question was this, this ever present sort of debate of centralized design team versus decentralized and how that kind of go almost swings back and forth in many companies as they grow, right? Like we're bringing everybody yeah. together and, and it's going to be a focused on almost an agency like model Versus yeah. like, no, they got to be out in the squads or however you organize your company. Exactly. You know, and yeah. like, how do you, it, there, there's no, there's no answer here, but it sounds like you're doing a little bit of centralization right now. We're, we're still sort of in the squads. If you look at us the way that we're officially organized. Uh-huh. So we're, we're trying to give, you know, a designer um, to each team or each area. And, you know, I believe that that's important for relationship building, having someone who sort of really owns that problem space and is the expert there and has the deep knowledge about uh, that particular piece of the journey or the business or whatever that sort of team is focused on. But then I always sort of recognize that, that like you said, there's no good answer. So you got to augment whatever mm-hmm. structure you're in uh, with whatever's missing from the, from the structure. And th- this embedded model that we're in certainly risks siloing people, making designers feel very isolated sort of making big seams between these different pieces of the experience. And so what we try to do is like augment that by uh, whatever sort of mechanisms and practices that we, we can. So um, we try to do regular crits across um, both, you know, all the product teams get together to review work so that they're um, certain that, you know, as, as a customer moves through, uh, one piece of the journey into the next, if that's owned by two different designers, it doesn't feel like you just, you know, jumped between two different teams. But then we also try to shake it up a little bit more with just like we, the, the brand team pulls us into their charrette sessions when they're thinking mm. about, you know, what's a big crazy idea for the next campaign. We're trying to bring brand designers into the product design process as much as possible. So I think it's kind of about like recognizing the deficiencies of whatever model you've got and, and doing everything you can to, to overcome those deficiencies. You mentioned a brand team. Does that mean that there's designers that aren't part of your design team? Like, are there like on the marketing side, other designers or how do you do that? I, I get questions about that all the time. No, everyone's a part of the design team, um, which I think is very beneficial and healthy. Yeah. Um, at Uber, things started to get fragmented and that, that started to be, it was just another challenge to overcome. You know, now, now suddenly the designers aren't aligned because maybe like a brand team or a marketing team's got one set of priorities and a product team's got another. Perhaps a different level of budget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the pieces that I'm pretty insistent upon is keeping everything uh, centralized as design so that we can really work together to create a, a, just a comprehensive, holistic, seamless experience. That's, you know, every interaction that you have with this company, whether it's, you know, responding to, uh, some of the marketing and advertising out there, moving from maybe something that's like a direct response style piece of marketing into a product funnel, which, you know, happens frequently and needs to feel very seamless and just making it feel like it's all, you know, cohesive and and of the same hand. Yeah. Yeah. There's that uh, for sure. Right. And we talk on this podcast a number of times about 
design systems and, and ways of doing that, which, which can almost be like doing product development inside the design team for the company, you know, things like that. Exactly. So I'm sure you guys are, uh, uh, working on that or thinking about that uh, all the time as well. But that's another way of sort of, of bringing the whole team together when they're out in these various, uh, product groups, right? Exactly. Yeah. We're, we've got, we've got two systems that we're working to, um, they're, they're both launched right now, but we, you know, of course need to continue to develop and build them out. We have one's on the consumer side. So everything that's, um, consumer facing and then another one's on the internal tool side. So all the tools that we build for the, the people that work for and run open door and getting everyone aligned and sort of like setting and forgetting all of those decisions that can be sort of baked into the system, mm. I think is incredibly helpful for, for that cohesion piece. Obviously it also helps us move faster, which is um, something that's you know very crucial here at a, at a, at a fast growth startup, you know, speed is kind of our overlord that's always like pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. So anything that we can do to uh, work more efficiently really benefits us and and design systems are great because you can both work faster and you get this quality that's sort of baked into it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and the other thing that kind of pops comes into mind when you're talking about so much growth and speed and, and all of that, it's just uh, almost like the care and nurturing of the designers careers and craft. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, when I, I was at Google a long time ago, 2006 and, uh, like when I got there, I was employee 4,400 or something like that. And three years later when I left, I, there were 20,000 people. So wow. the, yeah, the growth is outrageous. Um, but I remember one of the complaints was that like people just felt like they were getting left behind. Like it's just growing yeah. so fast and it, it is unclear to me what, what my pathway is here for my career. They're like, you know, we had to even develop that job ladder, the official like HR thing of your, yep. you're like senior designer three and your senior designer four and you know, that all that kind of stuff. But also just the fact that like, if as you get more people, you need more division and you know, like mm-hmm. more, a little more hierarchy and stuff. And like, I, I remember some of the designers complaining, like, Oh my God, I feel like I've had four bosses in the last two quarters, you know? And, and things like that. So how, how have you been thinking about that? Like sh- the, the maturity of the infrastructure, I guess, is what I'm talking about. It's, it's a constant challenge. What I've learned after going through all this at, at Uber is that setting expectations is very helpful here. So even when I'm interviewing folks and certainly when I'm onboarding and bringing new, new people onto the team, it's, it's talking about that and getting them ready for that. I think that's, that's a big piece that helps so that people aren't expecting maybe a level of structure that's just simply not going to be there. You know, like we, we have a saying that, you know, the only constant is change. Um, (laughs) Sure. That and that and changing your seat, (laughs) right? Your seat will move. We're always reorganizing the teams and reorganizing (laughs) the office. So like the only thing that's truly constant is you will change your seat. So don't get too, don't get too accustomed to your desk. But I think it is helpful to, to at least like call it out at the beginning. Like even when, when I'm sort of pitching to candidates, I'm saying, yeah, you know, this is, this is going to feel maybe unstructured. This is going to feel maybe volatile. It's going to feel thrashy. But the other side of that is that there is so much opportunity. Yeah. So I, I, I have seen, and especially with the, the the folks that are the the most ambitious, the most driven, the people that really just want to like do great things and take on more. This is this and other companies like it. It's 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 a great opportunity because no one's going to hold you back. You know. 
it's like, hey, I want to lead this project. And we're, we're like, okay, great. Yeah, great. We didn't even know that was needed, but you've made a great case and take it away. And you, yeah. know, you can yeah. just champion initiatives and, and do things that it, in more structured, sort of stable places that, that wouldn't be necessarily available to people because there's just simply not those, those opportunities. So it's, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. And I think that's how I, I deal with a lot of it is like setting those expectations first, kind of framing it for people in that way. And then there's just a constant, I mean, most of my job is, is bringing in more structure. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing those levels and expectations so that the team is clear between, you know, what's the difference between a senior one and a senior two or mm, whatever those, mm. those different titles sure, are. Sure. I'm, I'm trying to help, you know, bring in more stability with our, you know, our practice and the way that we go about just doing design on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so you're kind of always working on it, but then it's kind of always crazy and then you kind of make it better. And then it's like crazy in a different way because the team's bigger. Um, and so I think it's that, it's that combo of framing it for folks and, and, and letting them know that it's, it's going to feel like this and there is some benefits to that. And, but then also like not just letting it get out of hand, always trying to, you know, get ahead of it as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's also the difficulty of like this reality that if, if you are truly successful at, at building this mature design organization, many of the people that started with you aren't going to fit anymore. Like your own, exactly. your own move from Uber to uh, open door, right? Yeah. It gets to the point where suddenly you're like, ah, oh, it's not the same as it was. Maybe this isn't, you know, right for me or, yeah. or maybe I'm on a trajectory and suddenly it's like, oh, geez, those, everything kind of solidified around me. <laughs> and now that's like, I need to go somewhere else to get, to get that, that growth that I wanted, which is fine. I celebrate yeah. that, you know, and I think that's, if people want, need to go somewhere else, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm just happy to see us doing design in all these companies and, you know, people being you know successful and making great things for, for, for customers and users out there. That's really absolutely. what satisfies me the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of raising the bar for the industry that way, right? Like we are bringing yeah. a new generation of people in and training and, and sending them out into the world is, is one way of thinking about it. Especially, let me tell you, when you run an agency, <laughs> it feels like you get two years of people's time, really. And they're there, yeah. to, they're there to learn uh, yep. because, frankly, that's kind of all you can afford. You know what I mean? Like, the, the yeah. oh, my God, the consulting game is brutal. but um but yeah you're right absolutely um hey tell me a little bit about the product like product management and stuff like that how uh, is that how integrated is that with what you're doing and development and just that sort of overlap i'm I'm always curious about that yeah it's interesting we work very closely with our peers on product management and, and you know i feel like the more and more senior that individuals get and the more sort of maybe senior and mature that design teams get the more the lines between products and design kind of blur and get fuzzy. Um, And so, you know, whether it's working to define projects in the first place, which I think we spend a lot of time as, as product designers working with not just PMs, also, you know, engineering leads, um, everyone kind of works together to, to really define what is this thing we're about to do? What's the problem we're solving? How does it, you know, provide needs for provide value to, to our customers based on what we know about their needs. How's it going to provide value to the business based on what we know, you know, we need to do in order to stay successful. Um, and so we spend a lot of time, especially in the beginning of projects, just collaborating very deeply and kind of like, it's kind of unclear sometimes whose role is what, because we're all just working together to, to, to build that sort of alignment and definition around, around what we're doing. 
And then you usually see the team split a little bit more and go kind of to their corners and design does design and PMs are PMing. And but then we do a lot of coming back together. And, and one of the, um, one of sort of my secret weapons that I, that I sort of developed at Uber and I've, I've certainly brought here at open door is the, the standing weekly design review for product teams mm. where we bring everybody who is a stakeholder on that particular piece of the product on, on whatever project that we're reviewing, we bring them into the room. Yeah. Even if that means the CEO, we have our CEO here at open door coming to many of these because, you know, he has opinions and he wants to, to make sure that he's uh, influencing and shaping these, these products as much as the teams are. And so we bring them all into the room for a design review. And that's great for us on design because it allows us to move really efficiently. It keeps mm -hmm. us from like getting spun by like, you know, contradictory pieces of feedback that come to our desk at various times of the day. Totally. You, know, you just get everybody in the room and you're like, okay, you two are disagreeing. Let's, let's align you. And then we'll take that as a note to, to move into the next rev of, of this product that we're designing. But then what happens and what's really awesome is that it sort of just becomes more of like the product development review. Yeah. So we'll see PMs will start to use this meeting just to go over their initial PRDs or maybe do a retro on a project that's launched and review the, the results of it and what we think that means for, say, the next, the next projects that are coming on the roadmap. And so it becomes this moment when the team gets together to just um, think about the things that we're building. Uh, and, and sometimes that's, you know, very sort of bread and butter design review. And sometimes it's, again, kind of blurry. It feels a little bit more like like what would maybe traditionally be categorized as as product management. But, you know, my belief is that the, the best product designers are also really good PMs. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and conversely, I think the best PMs are also really good product designers. And so you, you, there's a lot of overlap between those two disciplines. Yeah, to, to me, the uh, there's almost complete overlap. The only difference be, being kind of the artifacts they use to uh, explain what they're doing, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. I love that story of like uh, of how you're doing your design reviews and bringing everybody in. I, you know, go, again, going back to my Google days, I was involved in a number of uh, things called design reviews that were really just opportunity for engineers to sit in a room and and like you know poke holes in everything, and that's all we did. We just desperately trying to defend um right. you know from requirements we didn't know had existed until that moment you know that kind of stuff it was exactly. awful it was really frankly corrosive and and so it, when i left google and we started uh typekit the um i explicitly called them product reviews and would um and would bring in stuff like we'd have uh one of the engineers go, go over the database architecture in the same format that a designer would use to, you know, talk through a set of flows, right? Yep. Um, and we did all that kind of stuff, and we did that with uh, with a lot of the marketing as well. Bring the marketing stuff into product review, and let everybody participate, and then spend a lot of time teaching people how to give feedback. I think it's really important as well, so um, so that you don't have that sort of power dynamic of of bigger egos and people more willing exactly. to to give criticism and stuff like that. So it's a lot of work. Exactly. It's a lot of work. It is. Yeah. How does the collaboration with develop, developers and engineering work over there? Like, um, do you use like you go through documents and sketch files, or is it more dynamic, or do you use different tools? Or it's fairly dynamic. I mean, we're all sitting next to each other, so the the individual product designers on each team are usually tailoring that relationship to whatever works best for them. So I'm not sure we have like a a standard way of doing things. Everyone here is very excited about Figma as a, as a design tool uh -huh. um, and has, has sort of switched to that over the last year. 
And, and one of the big things that people like is the ability to just deliver a Figma file to an engineer and it has enough specking into it so that they can just take it and build off of that. And another feature that the team's really excited about is some of the um, sort of design system level features of Figma. So it's, it's pretty easy to maintain a sort of shared repository of components mm. um, and styling that the entire team can pull into their individual projects and their individual files. And uh, the, the folks on our team that have been working on the design system have been sitting very closely with engineering to make sure that, you know, those components, that styling is reflected in the code base. So when, when an engineer receives a file that says, you know, H1 and primary blue, those are the calls that they would make yeah. in order to show that exact thing in there. So I think getting really tight with them on the, the more systematic level it has been very helpful and, and just trying to save time. Yeah. You know, I think we're, again, we're just so obsessed with like moving fast here and the, the, the sort of the, the challenge is not getting flinchy and panicky and just rushing, 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 thrashing, 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 but actually being very sort of smart about it and saying, Hey, we're going to actually invest some time up front to like really tune in our file handoff and our design system and then that's going to maybe take some investment right now, which, you know, even asking for a, a couple of days, heaven forbid, a couple of weeks, that's, that's crazy <laughs> at a startup, but you, you have the fortitude to be like, okay, no, 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 this, this will work. Trust me. This will make us so much faster, uh, in, in the future that it's, it's worth this upfront investment. And so doing a lot of that with some of the workflow pieces yeah. has been very helpful to make us really efficient and quick. Yeah. The term I always used was momentum because it wasn't, then I wasn't always saying, let's go faster, but I was always just focused, like, you know, what is the right momentum for right now? Uh, yeah. Because I also found like, oh my God, I'm like driving these people into the grave. Like, you know, if, if we keep going at the speed, we're, we're going to stop altogether. So, exactly. um, and just trying to be a little bit mindful of, uh, are we making the right choices here and stuff like that? And sometimes you do need a little time for that, but it's so hard in the startup environment. Um, especially when you sort of need, I think we all kind of feel this need to pause once in a while and and reflect on any unintended consequences of what we're building. You know, we just see this exactly. over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure like, that was uh, profoundly evident when you were working at Uber and, and whatnot. But yeah, in these, like, you know, like we said at the beginning, in these, in these industries where there's probably a much better user experience for the, the industry than has been in the past with the new technologies that are available and stuff. But like, at, at what cost, right? What, you know, are people being displaced or, you know, things like that. Yeah. It, and it's hard when we're going so fast, I think is the, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. So tough stuff, huh? Absolutely. Uh, well, this has been great. This is just a really fantastic conversation. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity there. Oh yeah. Speaking of which I saw, as I was kind of doing a little research beforehand, uh, a job description for, uh, for your team in LA pitched as a great opportunity for a San Francisco designer for a change of scenery. <laughs> it was yes. like the first thing, like uh, a true acknowledgement that like, you know what, there's a lot of people kind of want to get out of SF right now. I thought that was really Absolutely. interesting. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, there's a good job in LA right now for a good designer. It sounds like a good leadership Absolutely. position. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we could do, we could do a whole podcast on like hiring strategies for designers in Silicon Valley. How do, yeah, so, right. Like, yeah. like I, I bet, I bet. That's a good one. I'm going to put that on the list. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, great. Well, uh, Paul, thanks for being on the show. I will link over to your, uh, your Twitter bio and some of the writing you've done on Medium. Anything else you want to, you want to point us at or plug or anything like that? Uh, we have a page on Medium for open door design as well, where you can see some, some articles from, from the rest of the team. 
Uh, and it, our dribble is also a great place to see just oh. some some beautiful shots of, of the UI and the marketing that we do. Great, great. I'll put links to both of that in the show notes. Um, Paul, thanks. I really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Jeff. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Dean and this was Presentable. Presentable.